Donald Trump's saber rattling on North Korea continues. You know, yesterday there was a press conference and I believe the president was asked to clarify his statement about the fire and fury. And he basically came out and said that that wasn't strong enough, that he was really sugarcoating it. You know, that that what he really means is something worse than fire and fury, whatever that is. I mean, he didn't specify that, but he said, if anything, his statement wasn't strong enough. And, of course, he was out again today, you know, while he was also talking about the booming economy, the stock market at record highs, uh, employment surging, all these jobs coming back. I mean, he's spinning this ridiculous, phony story about a recovery that doesn't really exist. You know, just like I pointed out, he he took credit for building up our nuclear uh, armament uh, to a level that's higher than it's ever been. I mean, all this stuff is happening, unfortunately, in Donald Trump's mind. Uh, it's not really happening in reality. But again, today, uh, he issued another threat that, you know, North Korea, they better be careful if they say anything, if they do anything that, you know, they're going to regret it big time uh, very quickly. So the, the level of, uh, of the rhetoric is, is, is rising. Now, the markets, you know, there was a big down day. The Dow dropped uh, over 200 points, I think, yesterday, over 100-point drop in the uh in in the nasdaq composite a small bounce back today dow up about 14 so uh not a major uh recovery but you know no real follow-through to the selling at least yet but you know if you look at the vix which is a measure of fear a measure of volatility that thing was near the lows it was below 10 i think uh earlier midweek or so or around 10 and it spiked all the way up to 16 yesterday which is the highest it's been, I think, since uh, April when it spiked up there. But it, it gave back a little bit today, but it closed just above 1550. And it looks like it's above kind of like a key moving average on a weekly chart. So that shows that there is some heightened risk in the market. You know, interestingly enough, the dollar index closed near the lows of the day, just at around 93 even. It's down on the week. In fact, this is the lowest weekly close for the dollar index of the entire year. Now, you would expect the dollar to have some kind of a safe haven bounce with all of the saber rattling, all of the worries about, you know, nuclear war. You know, typically you would get money going into the dollar. You know, I guarantee you if the circumstances were the same a year ago, there would have been a big rally in the dollar this week. But not now. I mean, that really shows you that the trend is down. Nothing, not a better than expected jobs report, not the prospect of war. What rallied this week? The Japanese yen rallied, the Swiss franc rallied, gold rallied. Gold closed the week on the highs above uh, 1290, just above 1290. Now, granted, this is not a big rally. This is not a breakout. You know, gold has been flirting with a breakout for a long time, and it just hasn't uh, been able to achieve it. But this pre spring has been coiling and coiling and coiling. And, you know, it looks better and better to me every time I look at the chart. I mean, we are very close to a major breakout. Now, I thought that a, a couple of months ago and it hasn't happened yet. But the chart looks stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, the longer we coil this spring, uh, the bigger the reaction is going to be 
when it uncoils. You know, other people are noticing this. Yesterday, Ray Dalio, you know, he's the, the richest person here in the state of Connecticut at Bridgewater. He was on CNBC or wherever he was telling people to buy gold. He thinks it's the best thing you can do. Jeff Gundelak has been tweeting out about how good the chart looks for gold and get ready for a gold breakout. You know, even Dennis Gartman, although this one makes me a little bit nervous, he was on television yesterday saying buy gold. Uh, Now, he's normally a a pretty good contrarian indicator, although nobody's perfect. But the thing is, most people are not saying buy gold. It's still a minority opinion, but it's just not just my opinion. Other people that are following this. And by the way, Gundelag has a pretty good track record. He called this breakout in the VIX when the VIX was around 10. He said he was he was he he was uh, buying that because he thought it would spike up to 20 pretty quickly. And we're already almost there. So he had a good call on the VIX. And I think he's going to have a good call on gold. In fact, the guys that are bullish on gold, like Gundelak, like Dahlia, and maybe like Dennis Gartman now, they're actually still wrong because they're not bullish enough. I think the price of gold is going to go up a lot higher uh, than people think. And I think the dollar is going to break down a lot more than than people think. Now, of course, I guess the real winner, the star of the week, uh, Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin price is now well above uh, 3500 This is the high uh, for the history of Bitcoin. Uh, as I'm recording this, we're about 3560 something. I think as I'm recording this, we're at the highs, all-time highs. Uh, although, yep, this is about it. It might have been uh, a penny or two higher or a few bucks higher uh, before I started recording. Who knows where the price is going to be uh, by the time anybody actually listens to uh, to this podcast. But, you know, I said this before, and I still believe this. If we do get that breakout in gold, which we haven't gotten yet, but if we do actually get a huge breakout in gold, that could be the pin that pricks this Bitcoin bubble or the over, you know, the larger, broader uh, crypto bubble. And I've got a few more words. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Bitcoin uh, later in the podcast. So just hang on and I will get to that if you want to hear some some more thoughts on it. Oh, I also, before I forget, I want to mention that I am going to be at the San Francisco Money Show later this month in August. I think it's the 20, 23rd, 24th. Uh, it's uh, on a Thursday Friday and a Saturday in August. I, you know, I'm on a panel. I got a workshop. I haven't been at the San Francisco uh, Money Show uh, in a few years. I'm flying up there from LA. And by the way, again, I mentioned this on August 23rd. I am doing the Joe Rogan podcast. So it's the Friday after that. I'll be up in San Francisco. So if you are in the Bay Area, stop stop by and see me at the at the Money Show. It's free, but you got to go on their website and uh, and sign up. And they'll get you a badge and you just come down and, you know, see me at, at the money show. You know, by the way, you know, I was scheduled to be on Rick Santelli next Friday on CNBC. And two days ago, for no reason, they canceled the appearance. And they never have an excuse uh, when they cancel me. And they usually cancel me when they book me. But normally they cancel me last minute because they, oh, something came up. But obviously nothing came up and they didn't try to reschedule me. So, you know, the question is, who is it at CNBC that really doesn't want Peter Schiff on the air? Why don't they want me expressing my my opinions? Oh, and by the way, you know, all day on CNBC today, yesterday, nonstop coverage of Bitcoin. Brian Kelly on there all the time. I mean, they are totally enthralled. They love Bitcoin. They None of the coverage is negative. It's all how great it is, how much it's going to go up, why it's so great, why it's not a bubble. It, you know, when people try to say that, like CNBC is anti-Bitcoin. I've never seen them 
more positive Bitcoin. I mean, this this is just like they were in the 1990s uh, with the dot-com stocks. They love it. They think it's great. They put one person up after another who talks about why it's going to keep going up, why it's just like gold, why it's better than gold, why it has all this value, why this is just the beginning. I mean, there's so much hype. I'm surprised that they haven't driven the price even higher. Given all the positive press that Bitcoin has gotten that I can see over the last 48 hours, I'm surprised it's not even higher than this. So maybe there's some people out there that are taking advantage of all this hype in the mainstream media over how great Bitcoin is and how anybody who buys it is going to get rich, right? Maybe there's somebody who is uh, who is doing some selling. But again, I'm going to I'm going to talk about that uh, a little bit later. I want to get back to what's going on in the markets. You know, yesterday we got more bad news out of the retailers. The retail apocalypse continues. Macy's, Dillard's, Dick's Sporting Goods, one after another, blowing up 10 percent, 20 percent drops, new 52 week lows. All of this is continuing, right? This the economy continues to weaken. Also, my canary in the coal mine stocks, right? These uh, high-flying Wall Street darling IPOs, Snapchat. Snapchat came out with earnings yesterday, or losses rather. Terrible numbers, losses more than expected. Stock down another 14% today, 11.83. Remember, the IPO was at 17 earlier this year. The stock rose up to 29, and now it's at 11.83 with no bottom in sight. The other one that I'm using uh, as an example is Blue Apron, and they came out with our losses. Terrible number. In fact, when Blue Apron came out with its number yesterday, I was watching it in the pre-open, and it was actually up because the revenues beat. And I'm like, are they crazy? Who the hell's buying it on this report? Because they lost even more money than the forecast. And sure enough, it ended up closing negative. It got crushed yesterday, down slightly again today. The new record, the new low is $5. We made a new low today at $5. We closed at $5.12, right, down two cents. But remember, it was like a month ago, this thing came public at 10. So it's now been cut in half in its first month as a public company. The high price was 11. And again, the reason I point these out is because to me, they're canaries in the coal mine. They're just the weak links of the chain that are giving way. But it shows that the rest of the chain is having problems when you're starting to see these blowups. Because if everything was still good, these stocks would be going up. It wouldn't matter that they were losing money because nobody would care. But all of a sudden, people care. Now, another reason that the dollar weakened this week is we got lower than expected CPI numbers today and a lower than expected PPI. I mean, just a little bit lower. They were looking for a rise of two-tenths. They got a rise of one-tenth, you know. So a little bit below, but of course... If the inflation numbers are lower, then people think, well, you know, the Fed is less likely to raise rates, or if they do raise rates, they'll raise them later, or they won't raise them as much. And so this is all a negative for the dollar. But, you know, if you look at the coverage in the mainstream media of the inflation coming in lower than expected, it's always bad news, right? Oh, bad news. The inflation numbers were low, right? A higher number would be perceived as good news. Why? Because the idea is that a growing economy causes inflation. And if inflation isn't high enough, then it must mean that the economy is weak. Now, the economy is weak, but it's not because of prices not going up. It's for other reasons. But, you know, again, a strong economy causes prices to decline, not the other way around. See, a real strong economy is a productive economy where more goods are being produced. And as you increase the supply of goods, the price of goods comes down. So if everybody is working and everybody's producing and you get more stuff, 
then the price of stuff should come down. What happens is government prints a lot of money, and so money loses value, and prices end up going up. But they're all arguing that, oh, it's not enough. And in fact, I was watching on you know CNBC today, Steve Leisman was talking to Larry Kudlow trying to explain why we need 2% inflation, because the Fed has to make sure that inflation doesn't get close to zero, because then it might get negative and all hell's going to break loose if you know prices start to fall. So we need to maintain this buffer. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the numbers aren't even real. I mean, the government is understating inflation to begin with. So inflation is actually much higher than these numbers suggest. So, you know, is that supposed to be a relief that, you know, hey, that's actually good news because there's actually a lot more inflation uh, than we're being told. So we should be happy about that. And of course, they're going to try. The minute these numbers really start to move, they'll try to find a new way to calculate them so that the number stays low because they want to use these low numbers as an excuse to keep on printing money. I mean, that's really what they want to do. And it's not because it grows the economy. It's because it keeps these asset bubbles inflated. That's what they really care about. It's not consumer prices. It's stock prices. It's bond prices. It's real estate prices. They want to keep those things propped up. And it's a national debt. They want to be able to keep the government from having to default. And they want to allow the debt to be wiped out through inflation, not through an honest default. They want to slowly uh, repudiate the debt by debasing the currency. So that's the real reason that all these bankers want inflation. It's not because it's good for the economy. It's because it's good for the government. And of course, it's good for Wall Street. I mean, Wall Street makes money off of all this. But the real economy continues to suffer as a result of this policy. And no matter how much uh, Donald Trump wants to spin this as a positive, because now he's the president over this mess, it's still not good. Things are continuing to get worse, and they're going to keep getting worse. And the problem is, if the president keeps taking credit for victories he hasn't won, it is really going to come back to bite him and probably all the Republicans in, in 2018 and 2020, because he got elected by his message resonating with the people because it was a truthful message. You know, it was Hillary that was trying to get the voters to believe that everything was great. And Donald Trump was saying, it's a disaster. Elect me and I'll fix it. If he tries to run for reelection on the slogan of everything is great now because I've been president, well, now somebody can beat him by saying, no, it's not. Everything is horrible. So I'll fix it. Right. And so he's no longer going to be uh, uh, getting it, he's now going to be perceived as another establishment guy who doesn't understand how bad it is. You know that he was able to win, uh, but because he was able to identify with the average guy, even though he was so rich, a lot of blue collar workers thought that he identified with them because he articulated the problems they had. But if he's going to run for re-election, saying four more years of of great America because everything is so great because you know I, I made it great. That is not going to be the same message as the one he had before about this dark, bleak picture of America and how everything was in decline and it was a disaster and he was going to come in there and drain the swamp. I mean, if he just fills the swamp up, if he just raises the water level in the exact same swamp and now it's deeper than ever, how is he going to run about draining it again? Right. So somebody's going to come to the far left. So that is that that is the risk that we have. And all of that, of course, is a reason why so many people who are now optimistic, right, confidence, that is the one thing that has gone up, right? And, you know, the, the president can take credit for that. Confidence is up among Republicans. Of course, among Democrats, confidence is not up. But among Republicans, they're hopeful because Obama's gone and they believe that things are going to get better. Now, they're wrong, 
it's false confidence, right? If you go out on a, on a lake and you think it's frozen and you're confident in the ice and you go out there, is that a good thing? No, not when you fall through the ice and maybe you drown in the water. So confidence can be a very dangerous thing if it's false, if, it, if you do things based on that confidence that you shouldn't do. I mean, it's better to be fearful, right? Don't go on that ice. I'm afraid, right? But if you're confident and you go on it and then you fall through it, right, it would have been better if you had the good sense to be fearful and not and not go out on the ice. And so a lot of people are going to find themselves in some very cold water as a result of all this false confidence. And, you know, again, I see this with my own clients. I mean, I've mentioned this before. We have had, you know, a, a increase in the number of uh, Europe Pacific clients closing accounts, particularly smaller accounts. These are the ones that I have noticed tend to be closing. You know, accounts that are, you know, 50,000, 40,000, 30,000. These are the accounts that I really see closing in the greatest number. And most of these guys that are closing, a lot of them are in my uh, mutual funds, my wrap programs. And despite the fact that most of these accounts going back to January of last year are up anywhere from 30 to 35%, right? So they have some nice momentum. They're beating the S&P this year. They beat it last year, but a lot of them are still down, right? They're not down a lot, but they're still down from when they started in 2013, 2014, 2015, because of the big rise in the dollar in 2014, 2015. So, you know, they're making back those losses. Some people are a little ahead. Some people are about even, some people a little behind, but, a lot of people now are choosing to close out their accounts um, because they look back over the last, you know, three, four, five years. Hey, I haven't made much money, but look at how much money I would have made had I bought the U.S. stock market. Yes, of course, they would have made more if they bought the U.S. stock market because the stock market bubble got very big. Record, they, they'd have made more if they bought Bitcoin. That doesn't mean they should go out and put their account into Bitcoin. But I actually have talked to people who have done that, who have closed out accounts to put the money into Bitcoin, right? IRAs. People have wanted to put their IRAs in, in, in that. But they go and they look in the rearview mirror and they say, look, I, I'm going to get into the U.S. stock market. Now, these are clients who never would have gotten to the U.S. stock market when Obama was president, but they're confident because because of, uh, Trump is president. They think that's a game changer, but they're buying into a very expensive market and they're getting out of the foreign markets just as they're really starting to perform. Now, I mentioned on last week's podcast, the dollar is off to its worst start for a year since 1985. And when this happened in 1985, we had a 10-year bear market in the dollar. Dollar fell for 10 years. Can you imagine how much money people would make in foreign stocks and commodities if the dollar declines for 10 years in a row? And look, the U.S. is in much worse shape now than it was in 1985. The dollar is much more overvalued now. So we should have a much worse bear market. We should have a worse bear market than when we the one we had from 2001 uh, through through 2008. So, you know, instead of giving up on this strategy now because it's underperformed for the last four or five years, they should be looking at the massive outperformance over the last, you know, 18 months and extrapolate that into the future. But also people need to be looking at relative value. Look how expensive the U.S. stock market is. You know, it's only been this expensive really a couple of times in history, like 2000 before it collapsed or 2008 or 1929. I mean, it's hard to find a U.S. stock market that's this expensive. It's also hard to find a U.S. stock market that this that is this expensive relative to foreign markets. So it's a terrible time to be moving into U.S. stocks now. But that's precisely what a lot of these little investors are doing. And they are an excellent contrarian indicator. I mean, small investors typically have terrible timing. 
And, you know, if, you know, if they invested in foreign stocks during the bear market and they get out just as the bull market starts and they miss the U.S. bull market and they get in at the top just as the bear market is about to stop. You know, one of the things that really bothers me, and this has happened quite a few times, I see people who are who are buying annuities, fixed annuities. They're cashing out of their accounts with me and they're buying annuities fixed at these ridiculously low prices, even in IRAs. I, I see this all the time. And a lot of times, of course, I'm able, when I get the got client on the phone, I'm able to, to stop them from doing this. But a lot of people call me up or they send it a transfer and I see they're sending their IRA to an insurance company because they're going to buy an IRA, they're going to buy an annuity. And these things are just complete scams. I mean, especially if you're going to buy an annuity at all, A, you don't want to do a fixed annuity now because rates are too low. You don't want to fix in a low, lock in a low rate. If you're going to buy a fixed annuity, you want to wait until rates are high. But of course, you're fixing yourself in U.S. dollars and the dollar is going to lose a lot of value. But the only real benefit of an annuity is that you get some tax deferral of your of your income. But when I see people buying them in IRAs, why? They, they've already got tax deferral for nothing. Why pay? Because the costs in here. And again, nobody knows this. You know, and I tell clients this and they, they don't even know. I tell them how much these annuities cost because the salesmen who sell annuities tell you it's free. There's no cost. There's no commission as if they're doing it for nothing. There is an enormous cost. You just don't see it because it's built into the price. And when you get your statement, when you buy your annuity, let's say you put 50000 into an annuity and you get your statement, it says that you got $50,000. So you think you didn't pay anything. Yes, you did because you don't have 50000 in the market. There's a surrender penalty. If you try to get your money out, let's say you change your mind a month later and you want your money back, you can't get your 50000 you might only be able to get 42000 back. What happened to the other eight? That was the commission. It didn't get lost in the market. The salesman who sold you the annuity put it in his pocket. You know, but they don't even tell this. They don't even disclose this stuff. You know, one of the, the, uh, the regulations that uh, Trump has delayed the implementation of is this new fiduciary rule that was supposed to start in April, and now they're saying maybe it's going to start in January. We're not really sure. But that rule would actually prohibit uh, the practice of selling annuities in IRAs. I mean, it's so bad. I mean, ethically, nobody should do it. But there are a lot of unscrupulous salesmen out there that advise people to buy annuities inside their IRAs. Now, they won't be able to do that anymore if this fiduciary rule goes by. Now, I've never done it. I mean, I don't need their fiduciary rule uh, to get me to do the right thing for my clients. I mean, I could sell annuities all day long if I wanted to, and I could put all that money in my pocket, but I don't want to take it from my client. I know it's not the right thing to do, so I don't do it, right? But there are a lot of people out there. The, the, the biggest ticket item you can do as a stockbroker, if somebody, if you want to make the most amount of money the fastest, you do that by selling somebody an annuity, right? But that's not usually the best thing for the client. In fact, it's usually the worst thing for the client because all the money that you make directly comes out of your client's pocket and it's money that's not being used in the market. So whatever you can achieve in an annuity, if you want to achieve it, you can achieve it better for cheaper without an annuity. But again, you wouldn't even want an annuity now when rates are so low. If you want a fixed annuity, then they have variable annuities, but that's a whole, that's a horse of a different color. But even those I wouldn't be buying. I mean, I think the best returns right now is what I'm doing. Foreign stocks, dividend paying foreign stocks, developed markets, emerging markets, commodities, precious metals. We are just starting what I believe is going to be a multi, multi-year bear market. And of course, the vast majority of our clients are not closing. In fact, now we're, you know, we're getting plenty of people adding to their accounts. They're, they're, they're seeing the turn. They understand it. They get it. 
But the fact that we have a lot of these smaller investors throwing in the towel and they don't even realize they're winning the fight, yet they're throwing in the towel. You know, this to me is a great contrarian indicator. I feel bad about it, but I feel good about the indicator. I feel good about my position and the returns that we're going to continue to generate as this trade continues to unfold. And, you know, because it's happening a few years later, right, because the bubble got bigger, the U.S. simply dug itself into a deeper hole. The problems got much bigger. The bubble got much bigger. That means a lot more air is going to come out. The dollar is going to collapse. It's just going to collapse from a higher level. And it's going to fall even further because it's going to get so much more momentum from this higher drop. And so I mean, I think the profits that people are going to have are going to be that much bigger because they had to wait a lot longer. So the payday is bigger because the payday was delayed. But as far as I'm concerned, that's better. I don't mind waiting longer for a bigger payoff. I mean, a lot of my clients are have very, very long-term time horizons. They don't need the money now. Even if they invested three, four, five years ago, they're looking 10, 20 years down the line. They're looking for retirement. And so what matters is where you are in the long run. It doesn't matter how you get there. Right? You know, a lot of people are going to find this out the hard way. A lot of people who made money in the U.S. stock market or who made money in cryptocurrencies, they're going to give it all back. They don't realize that. You know, it's like if you're a poker player, you're playing poker. Sometimes, you know, you lose some hands, you know, in order to win. Right. Sometimes you let some people, you know, uh, win hands, give them a false sense of confidence. You can have a bunch of people at a poker game. Don't even realize how bad a player they are until they've lost all their money. You know, maybe they think they're good. They win a couple of hands. They're all happy, right? They start, you know, maybe they have a few drinks because they're feeling all good about themselves. And at the next thing you know, you know, they're busted. They leave, they leave broke, right? That, you know, that's, you know, what's that old song? Don't count your chips while you're still sitting at the table, right? The gambler. Well, that's going to happen to a lot of people that are in the U.S. market. And, you know, they think they've made money. They just don't realize how bad an investor they are. They were lucky. They did something foolish and they bought into an overvalued market. They didn't understand the problems of the U.S. economy. But because a lot of other people made the same mistake, the prices went up. And on paper, they have money until they lose it all. Meanwhile, the people who are smart right, are going to end up with all that money. The people who understand the dynamics in the economy, in the market, who have been investing out of the dollar, who have been buying up these undervalued stocks in other countries, who have been accumulating gold and silver, who have been buying these mining stocks, they're the ones that in the long run, I think, are going to be holding all the chips and they're going to go home winners. Now, I said earlier, I would try to circle back to uh, to Bitcoin. And, you know, I don't want to go over again today. I mean, all the, the reasons that I don't think Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies are ultimately going to succeed uh, as, as money, as currency, whatever you want to call it. Um, they are succeeding right now as a speculative asset. And there are a lot of people that have made some enormous paper profits, and some have realized those profits, obviously, people have sold. But what I do want to talk about is one aspect, as I was looking at some of the criticism about me or about other people who have critical, been critical of Bitcoin. And one of the arguments that people make, especially if the person who's criticizing it is in the precious metals business, right? I have shift gold, uh, my affiliation with gold money, and so I sell gold and silver. And, and there are other people out there that are also in the industry, sell gold and silver, and so people are saying, oh, we're biased, right? We're just talking our book, right? We just can't, we don't want to admit that gold and silver, I mean, that, that, that Bitcoin is as good or better than gold and silver because it would hurt our business. Because after all, if Bitcoin is the new gold, then why does anybody need the old gold? Why does somebody have to buy gold or silver from me 
when they could just buy Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is better because look at how much it goes up, right? It goes up much better than gold. So if you're worried about fiat currencies, if you're worried about central banks, if you're worried about inflation, why buy gold that you have to lug around and that barely even goes up? Just buy Bitcoin because you're going to be get you're going to get rich, right? So this is what's going on. So I'm supposedly biased because I sell gold and silver, and and so my my judgment is clouded. And, and first of all, you know I don't only sell gold and silver. In fact, I used to I didn't even sell. I was selling stocks. I was a stockbroker initially, trying to get people to buy stocks from me. But I didn't thought they should also buy gold. And initially, I didn't even have shift gold. I didn't start shift gold until like 2010. But I was telling people to buy gold, uh, go buy it. I was telling people, you know, get some gold. Even though, theoretically, the money that they used to buy gold was money that they couldn't send me to manage. They couldn't put it in their brokerage account. I still told people to buy gold, even though I didn't sell any of it. You know, and the reason I ended up setting up Shift Gold was because I heard a lot of horror stories because people went and bought gold because I said buy it, but they ended up buying the wrong kind. They ended up getting bait and switched into some phony numismatic coins and they got overcharged. And so I ended up setting up my own company so that when people went and bought gold, I would make sure they, they got a fair deal. They, they weren't, uh, you know, put into these, uh, into these crappy uh, uh, phony numismatic coins. So that was costing me money when I was telling people who could have sent me money to buy stocks. And I was saying, go buy some coins, go buy some gold. Because I've always said, you know, put 5 10% of your money in gold. And obviously that was money that you couldn't put into the stock market. And I was, I was a stockbroker. But also the idea that people who own Bitcoins are unbiased is nonsense. The minute you have an ownership interest in, in Bitcoin, you are immediately biased by owning it, especially when you believe that the price is going to keep rising because you're going to get rich. And the price rising means other people have to buy it. Right. So if somebody is out there like me saying something negative about the asset that you think is going to make you rich, you, you don't like that. Right. And because you, you need like any other kind of Ponzi scheme or pyramid, you need more and more people uh, to buy. Right. You need more buyers to come in and get the price to go up. So anybody who is talking negatively about it, there's going to be a bias. You don't want to hear that. And I've seen this before. This is not the first time I've experienced this when people own something and have a vested interest and it's going up, they don't think clearly. They don't see criticism. I saw it with real estate, and I saw it with with stocks. And this is the same attitude. I mean, you go back, I had so many arguments with people, family members, friends, uh, in the early 2000s about the real estate market. People were buying homes, buying second homes, and I was renting. And I was trying to tell them why real estate prices were going to fall, why it was a bubble. And I got so many arguments. Man, I couldn't even go to people's houses because everybody owned houses. I was the only one who didn't. And nobody wanted to hear from me. I was trying to rain on their parade. I didn't get it. I was a moron. I didn't understand real, real estate. I mean, people were telling me that. You know, when I tried to bring up, you know, rental income and, and, and fundamental, oh, I didn't understand real estate. I, so many people told me that I didn't understand real estate. Right? No, they didn't understand real estate. Their opinions were cloud. I remember even people telling me, I was I had a booth at this uh, conference uh, in uh, in Scottsdale, you know, 2004, 2005, you know, near the top of the bubble. And I remember this guy telling me, well, maybe there's a bubble in real estate, but not in Phoenix. And he tried to tell me why real estate can never go down 
uh, in Phoenix and all the things that made Phoenix special. Why? Because that's where he owned his property. Of course, the market collapsed there. People always said, that, well, it's going to go down every place, but not by the beach, not on the lake, not in the mountains, not in Florida. I mean, everybody always had a reason why even if real estate went down everywhere, it wasn't going to go down where they owned their real estate. Obviously, they were biased because they owned it. Mentally, they could admit that they weren't going to get rich on their real estate. They didn't even want to consider the possibility that they were wrong. The same thing was happening with the dot-coms. I mean, I had so many conversations with investors in the 1990s. I mean, all I did was talk to people in the 1990s trying to get them to sell their, their internet stocks. And I mean, the vast majority of these stocks went to zero. Now, of course, some of them didn't, like Amazon and and uh, e eBay, you know, some of these stocks Priceline, but the vast majority of them went to zero and they're gone, right? But, you know, they were all going up and people were in love with them. And people would always tell me, well, look, Peter, maybe you're right. Maybe these stocks were in a bubble, but not this one. Whatever internet stock they owned, they were convinced if it was a bubble everywhere else, it didn't apply to the stock that they owned. I mean, that's, I mean, it, it's like a cult. They couldn't see my arguments. Why? Because they had so much profits already and they thought it was going to continue forever. They were going to get rich and they didn't want me to try to interfere with that with that fantasy, they, right? They had this built up in their mind about how rich they were going to get on their dot-com stock, how rich they were going to get on their house or their condo or their, or their vacation home. Uh, and, you know, th this was a great narrative. It was a fairy tale. Everybody wanted to believe it. It was easy money. And nobody wanted to hear from me. And especially as the prices were going up, right? As a lot of these dot-com prices were going up, as real estate prices were going up, it just made me look all the more foolish. And all the people that didn't take my advice just laughed at me. You see, you're crazy. Had I listened to you, I would have missed out on this. And you don't know what you're talking about. So the price going up validates the false belief that you're actually right, even though all that's happening is you have a bigger bubble. That's why there are a lot of people today that are trying to say, hey, Peter, you were wrong because you said Bitcoin was a bubble and it was $1,000 and here it is $3,500, therefore you're wrong. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. It just means the bubble is bigger. Now, in hindsight, could somebody have bought Bitcoin at 1000 and sold them at 3500 Of course. And I never said that it couldn't go up. I just said it was a bubble and no matter how high it goes, it's going to collapse. And so do you want to gamble? Now, some people gambled and they can make money. But you know, a lot of people who bought at 1000 they're not selling at 3500 because they think it's going to 10000 They, they won't even sell at 10000 They think it's going to 100000 So, I mean, who knows where the bubble is going to pop? And I, I've even seen this. I've seen a lot of people who will say, well, you know, there is a bubble in some of these cryptocurrencies. Like a lot of them are worthless, but not Bitcoin. What's the difference? What is the difference? Just because it's first, just because more people own it, just because it's a bigger bubble, that means that it has value. And all these other digital currencies that are really indistinguishable in their properties from, from Bitcoin. Remember, Bitcoin just spun off Bitcoin Cash. All of a sudden, they just spin that off and you got that. What if they have more spinoffs? They can start spinning off all kinds of things. I mean, if, who knows what the future supply of these cryptocurrencies are going to be? You know, with all the potential spinoffs off of Bitcoin and you know, I, who knows? I mean, it's endless amount of these currencies that can keep on being being created and created out of thin air. But when people are saying, well, you know, Bitcoin's not a bubble, but all these other di digital currencies are worthless, but but not Bitcoin. It's the same rationality. That mentality is there. So I just want to point out that everybody is biased. 
right? Can you say, do I have some bias because I sell gold and silver? Sure, right? If Bitcoin is better than gold, right? If it actually is the new gold and if it's better than gold, then you don't need to buy any gold, right? And obviously, if I sell gold, then that's bad for my business, right? If Because gold is obsolete, although it's not obsolete because gold still has value. It just won't have value as money anymore. It'll just have value as a metal. And it has a lot of value as a metal. There's a lot of things that you can do with gold. And gold's going to go up in value even if it's never used as money, even if it's just used as metal. Same thing with silver. There's a lot of demand for silver that has nothing to do with silver being money. So it doesn't mean that these elements are worthless. But if the people who believe that Bitcoin is the new gold, that it's actually going to be a store of value and a medium of exchange, then yes. But I just don't happen to believe that. And I wouldn't believe that even if I didn't sell gold. But yes, of course, there's going to be some bias. I mean, you can't help that. But I try to think through that. I try to look at it logically. Because if I logically believed it, there'd be nothing that said that would stop me from saying, hey, yeah, buy it. Yeah, I think it's going to work. But, you know, buy some gold as another investment. I mean, there are a lot of things I think are going to work. It doesn't mean I don't diversify. It doesn't mean I don't tell people, you know, don't have all your eggs in one basket, even if I believe that basket is going to work. So if I really believed in it, I can certainly tell people to buy it. But I don't. Now, do I think it's a it's people can speculate? Yeah, people can make money buying lottery tickets. There are a lot of things that you could do and you can make money doing it. But you're taking a big risk. And what I don't do as an investment professional is go out and encourage people to take big risks. If they want to do that on their own, if they want to go out and gamble, right? Hey, do you want to buy Bitcoin for $3,500? Because maybe it goes to $10,000. Maybe it goes to $20,000. Maybe it does, but maybe it goes to $300. Maybe it goes to $100. Maybe it goes to zero. Maybe it does both. Maybe it goes to $10,000 and then it goes to zero. I don't know. Or maybe it just goes straight to zero. There's no way to know. You can look at a chart. You can try to trade it, look at the momentum, and you could do all kinds of stuff like that. But, you know, there are a lot of things you could trade, right, that I don't I don't get into. But I do believe that fundamentally uh, it's not going to work, that it doesn't have the properties. It has some properties that money has, but it doesn't have all the necessary properties that is going to make it work over time. And so, therefore, it's just a speculation. And I am not going to encourage people uh, to go out and gamble uh, no matter how high it might go. But people can make their own decisions. If they want to gamble, fine. Just don't blame me if uh, if you end up losing money.